The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you by Spirited Sea Travel. Reserve your space for spring 2020. Visit spiritedseatravel.com and mention Unity Online Radio when booking. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome, everyone, and thank you for being a part of our show. Thank you for listening and sharing our shows with others. And I feel, most importantly, thank you for being an intentional spirit, a person that is not guided by external circumstances, but sets good intentions and follows through, carries through, continues to walk as you are your purpose. And as you know, we every week we have amazing guests from all over the world, and today is none other than someone extremely extraordinary uh, with the name of the book, From Suffering to Peace. Oh my, how appropriate is that timing and that title. Mark Coleman, welcome to our show, sir. Such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Lovely to be on your show. Thank you. And as I was um, looking at your website, markcoleman.org, so everyone can join me in that, for those of you that are tuning in live now, I, I love the, underneath your name, Mindfulness Teacher, Wilderness Guide, and Author. And I, I just had myself just a little bit of chuckle. It kind of, sh- you know, you have to have a sense of humor with this stuff. And I thought, is the Wilderness Guide like, when we feel like we're out in the wilderness with our own lives, (laughs) or is it literally like we go on tours and guided things through um, reserves and pilgrimages and things like that? So I was just, I just had to say that, you know, to add a little. Yeah, no, it's a a great comment. And um, definitely there's lots of inner wilderness as well as the outer wilderness. I'm that title is generally referring to my wilderness nature meditation retreats but um definitely uh also guide people into the inner wilderness of you know whether it's in meditation or in our own minds or our lives because those definitely they can become difficult places to navigate as the wilderness can so um but yes Mm -hmm. primarily i'm um guiding people out in the wilderness, uh, in the outdoor realm. But of course, I'm always aware of the outer landscape and the inner landscape is always informing each other. So it's, I think I'm learned to be a guide in both realms, which I think is important in these times. I do too. And I, I think that is so beautiful. And I just am coming off of uh, a shamanic retreat. I'm a shamanic practitioner and I spent a week in Pagosa Springs, um, Colorado and felt very much in nature and, um, love that medicine, you know, that comes with that flavor of, of the wilderness, not only in reality, but also in our own minds, because that's the beauty of it, isn't it? Is that we get surprises, 
we get surprises by nature. We get surprises by our creator. You know, we see certain birds, we see such animal totems. We have certain experiences that, that is allowing the mystery of God or our creator, if you will, to, to flow to us. And, um, anyway, I, I just say that often that really my truest education is when I'm living off what I don't know, uh, <laughs> because that's where, you know, so much of the rich knowledge comes from, but let us, um, explore a bit Mark, with uh, your life, you have uh, an extremely rich history, which I want everyone to benefit from knowing a a bit about. Uh, How did you um, get into this work in the first place before you became a noted author and a wilderness leader and, and known for all your work in mindfulness? Wait, did you know as a child this was going to be your life purpose? How did you? Uh, how did this happen? Yeah, well, I certainly didn't know as a child. Um, I grew up in northern England um, and uh, had no idea what I was going to do and uh, moved to London and was a punk rocker and a very disaffected, angry young man. And I was um, part of all kinds of movements, uh, social movements um, that were really vehicles for me to express my dissatisfaction and confusion and or rage, really. Um, and I was, you know, I'm experiencing a lot of uh, anger and suffering and confusion and was really looking for a way to navigate that. And uh, I happened to come across, which back then was a um, a rare thing, a a meditation center uh, in the East End of London um, back in the early 80s and was taught about mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. And it was revelatory to me to encounter a a tool, a, a practice, a meditation that, that allowed me to really turn my attention to my inner world and to really explore um, the source of my own suffering, which wasn't necessarily the what I was blaming and raging against in society, but was really a lot of turmoil and confusion and Um, self-hatred in my own mind and so I immediately took to those those meditation practices I ended up dropping out of college and eventually moving studying in Asia which eventually took me to the States where I did more training and teacher training meditation teacher training and um, and then fell in love with the wilderness here and that that started its own journey of exploration of how to integrate meditation and nature since it's such a, for me, the perfect and most obvious place to contemplate and to develop one's inner life. So that's the quick journey, and you're welcome to ask me any more detail about any specific part of that. But that, that, that's been a 35-year journey of exploring meditation, mostly through the Buddhist tradition in Europe and Asia and the States, and but also other traditions 
um, and then really carving out my own sort of work in the wilderness, integrating mindfulness and meditation in nature as a profound path of awakening and joy and mystery. And that was something um, duly noted in reference to what you were saying, you know, over this uh, long retreat is you can, and I've done it many times, uh, stood in front of a class and talked about meditation and relaxation and, you know, being stress-free as they're all, you know, many are looking at their clocks and, you know, watching the time. But there's something that definitely happens in the in the throes of nature that there's a stillness that begins to happen and it seems that it's much less resistant for an individual to make that kind of inner agreement i'm going to be here and i'm going to put my phone away or my it used to be phone now it's camera now it's computer now it's all of that so um that that part of of that uh that space that you're talking about is is it that with working with your mindfulness every day is the piece you're talking about both external and in- internal? Is it both of them? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you know, there's definitely places that we go to. Like, <clears throat> you know, I think most of us are drawn to nature because it's such a beautiful salve and 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 soothing for the for the spirit and the soul and so we go to the woods or the park or the ocean or to the mountains or you know as mystics and meditators have done for thousands of years and um so definitely there's a recognition of and, and a drawing on the outer peace that comes from being outdoors and um, in fact, I was just with a dear friend of mine who's recovering from a stroke yes, and the last few weeks, and he's mostly sitting on his uh, deck uh, overlooking the water and allowing the, the soothing, restful quality of water and nature to be a way for him to um, sort of re-stimulate his brain. And so there's something, there's actually the research researchers have coined this phrase soft fascination which is what happens when we go outside and we become connected to and engaged with experience but it's not overstimulating so it's it's enlivening without taxing the system and i think that's one of the reasons why we go outside is because we we intuitively know that it's good for us um, aside from the beauty and the joy that somehow it rubs off the outer peace or the outer stillness or presence that we find in nature um, has an impact and allows us to feel access some of that quality inside, and so that's why I do most of my meditation retreats these days. I do them in nature, in the wilderness, because it's such a natural support for presence and for stillness. And you know, when I came to the states, what I started to shift my own meditation practice outdoors and then do my own retreats outdoors. And I realized that all those years that I was cultivating meditation indoors and trying to study all these deep esoteric teachings, that they were those, that the wisdom and the, the insights were really available 
in the natural world. It teaches us so much about life, about death, about change, about connection and interrelationship. And so I realized that was quickly becoming my main teacher in life. And so that's, that, that's what birthed my Awaken the Wild work, which is really the integration of that meditation in nature. And so, yes, to, to go back to your question, the work is, is orienting and, and drawing on the outer and the inner peace that comes from, from that environment. Well, in my, my window of knowledge um, about meditation, I mean, obviously being in science, mind, and unity, all of my adult life. I mean, that's a key principle, uh, the practice of that and many different forms of practice of meditation and what that can look like. And of course the shaman path can be a a walking meditation is as profound as no meditation. Um, but I lately have become aware of, uh, we have a really good friend of our community. Um, his name is Michelle Pascal and he teaches um, meditation. He's from Europe, and he teaches meditation to the Amity Foundation in California. And it's pretty fascinating that 80% of the parolees they are returned back to to prison. Of the ones that are taking the classes about meditation, 80% of them are not returning, which is absolutely beautiful. But you're hearing of um, I mean, I remember a time, I mean, don't you, that a lot of people didn't even know the word of what the word meditation meant. Um, it seems yeah. that there's progress being made in that and children in schools. And I mean, is that what you see? Because you live in this world all the time and you're more the expert. I'm more the visitor. But I'm just curious. Are you noticing a change with that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the reason I wrote my last book, From Suffering to Peace, was really in response to that growing mindfulness movement that's really been exploding in the last <clears throat> 10 years, partly and instigated by a lot of research that was happening that was showing that mindfulness has you know, a lot of efficacy around attention and depression and anxiety and really supporting kids with ADHD and cancer patients and, as you say, people inside prison and um, just a whole range of populations that the practice really is supportive of. And so because of that, it's, it's grown in schools and psychology and healthcare and business. And, and I've been teaching in those different domains for a long time watching the rise of this um, popularity, which I'm mostly happy about. And I was also, but I also got concerned as, as I watched the same thing happening with the yoga movement, um, where it sort of exploded and, and uh, lost touch with its essence. When you go to India, say, and study yoga, it's really deeply embedded into a, a whole path of awakening. It's not just about... Uh, physical movement it's the physical movements really a support for meditation contemplation self-understanding and and so um so i wrote this book from suffering to peace partly as a response to wanting to recontextualize mindfulness practice and 
really point to its its root, its origin, which was really it's a path of aside from cultivating attention, it's a path of understanding, it's a path of insight, it's a path of really uh, enabling us to understand who we are, why we suffer, and how we can free ourselves from our self-created stress and anxiety and fear. And and so, um, yeah, so in response to your question, I think, you know, definitely there's a huge... When I started meditating, people thought it was weird. I, I was weird. They thought I joined a cult. They thought I was selfish. They thought, you know, I just would lost the plot, basically. And now, um, when I talk, talk to people, if I'm, say, on, you know, traveling somewhere, and they're like, oh, that's great. My auntie does that, and my kids are doing that at school, and my therapist tells me to do that. And so so I'm happy about the the uh, the explosion of it. And um shouldn't maybe use the word explosion. It sounds a little militaristic. But the, you know, the growth, of its popularity, um, and at the same time, I'm also concerned to and care a lot about people really seeing what what might the potential of mindfulness and meditation practices which is really to you know free oneself from suffering to understand the true nature of of experience and life and to find peace in the midst of wherever we where we are i so get oh i so appreciate the value of, of what you're saying is that, you know, when we're talking about these tools and the advantage of these tools, the whole idea is to develop the fully, you know, self-actualized person in a, a full development kind of place. And I, the way you feel about uh, some of your work and what you see is the same that I feel about, um, uh, shamanic practices you know it it for so so many you know cultures and 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 times before people were chosen you know to be the one that learn these tools and everything and now we have you know resort centers that in a weekend you know people are running around calling themselves a shaman and um and yeah, including, you know, um, Kayahuasca and, you know, Be Buzzed and Discover Your True Principle. And um, I, I, I relate to that. I've, I've had, um, I've not had an easy time with that at times. You know, when I look at the 12 years that I studied and still do, you know what I mean? And I still wouldn't call myself a shaman. <laughs> because it's not even the right language that you are supposed to use. So I I really hear you in that in that way because it's a it's a it's definitely it's a dedication. It's a um it's not a quick fix and oh I I got a card my name's on it and I'm good to go. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's the parallels are similar. I see you know mindfulness has been sort of booming for the last five to ten years, and and now, as you say, ceremony work and medicine and ayahuasca and other plant medicines are becoming uh, vogue in certain in certain worlds. And um, yeah, I think there's a, there's a there's a you know it's really important to have integrity, especially. And I, I run teacher trainings for that reason. I, I have an institute called the Mindfulness Training Institute, and I run mindfulness teacher training programs. 
And again, my intention for that was to really train people with some depth that draws from the wisdom of the the tradition, which is, you know, Buddhist tradition has been around for 2,500 years, training people to teach in a secular environment, because that's really what's what people are, are wanting to, to take this in, work out into the world, into education and healthcare and medicine and whatnot. Um, but to do that with some integrity and understanding of the tradition, but also having some depth in their own practice. And so, you know, it's been an, a strong... Um, strong desire and, and and intention of mine is to really you know i think the the, the best way we can influence um a movement like the mindfulness movement at least for myself is aside from writing is to train teachers so they really understand the roots and the depths of the practice and and then they can take it from there so yeah i think we're in interesting times where the good side of things is that is that you know there's a tremendous amount of access to information and teachings and wisdom, and the popularization of that can um, you know can lead to people jumping and leading it when they're not really qualified to do so. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I am very much looking forward to delving into your book. Uh, from suffering to peace is it in addition to is it like uh, the next phase of your original book um, make peace with your mind or is there a connection Um, with the two of them like one's the first child and the next one's what you learn because of that or you know is there any relation or yeah so um well my first book was awaken the wild which was a um a book about meditation in nature and uh, really explores the work that I do out in the wilderness. And then the second book, which you're referring to, Make Peace With Your Mind, um, is really, and the subtitle, How Mindfulness and Compassion Can Help Free You From the Inner Critic. That book's really oriented around how do we work with the negative, destructive, self-deprecating voices in our heads that are always telling us we're not good enough, smart enough, and in, in in making us feel deficient and uh, unworthy and shame. And so that I wrote that book because so many of my students that I would meet around the world, um, these wonderful, intelligent, creative people who were just really hampered with that negative, destructive voice inside that most people I meet these days carry. And so that feels like an important part of any spiritual practice that we learn how to work with those negative voices and messages that we can give too much attention to in our head. And then this third book, the uh, from suffering to peace was really, uh, I mean, not exactly a follow on, but really a much deeper dive into, you know, what is mindfulness practice and what is um, what is the depth and the scope of it? How do we how do we develop it? How do we cultivate the mind? But I, I explore mind, mindfulness in four domains. We look at mindfulness in the body and how to cultivate an embodied awareness and learn through the body with its challenges of pain and loss and um, and uh, and how the body is a, is a doorway, a portal to the present moment through the senses and 
and then I explore mindfulness of the heart. So how do we meet our emotional experience, um, both joys and sorrows and grief with uh, awareness and kindness and also developing beautiful heart qualities of kindness, compassion, forgiveness. And then the third area in the book is exploring mindfulness of mind. How do we understand the mind? And that really sort of dovetails with the earlier book of you know understanding how the mind uh, can create so much unnecessary suffering through its beliefs and ideas and distorted perceptions and how do we come to understand the mind and work with our thoughts and work with belief in time and separation and how do we understand the true nature of the mind. And then the last uh, section is really on mindfulness in the world and how we learn to live in this world, whether it's in an ecological crisis, looking at our unconscious biases, um, how do we engage in service and really take our practice from the cushion into the world in a very active and dynamic way. I love your dedication. And have you, in in your years, have you, have you had, I'm sure that's, let me just even think about that question. You've had, I bet you've had a lot of people gain hope again or a reason to be. You must have many stories along the way of those situations. When people make peace with themselves, they make peace with them, their lives. Sure. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think for many people, mindfulness is a, literally a life-saving practice. You know, the, you know this, 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 there's so many uh, challenges in this, in this world, in this life, both, you know, just growing up, you know, often in a dysfunctional family, or, you know, the medical challenges or mental health challenges, you know, the rates of anxiety and depression are skyrocketing in this country. And um, so so having, it, having some practices, some tools and techniques that allow you to develop self-awareness, that allow you to become emotionally aware, to allow you to learn how to manage those difficult emotions, to learn to, to, to work with the mind and all the ways that we can release some of the negative or distorted or deluded um, beliefs. Um, very freeing. And, uh, you know, certainly in my experience and, and people I know who practice for a long time. and that I'm we, looking forward to hearing more about it. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome back, everyone. And for those of you that are just tuning in, I'm talking to Mark Coleman. He is a mindfulness teacher and expert. 
He is a wilderness guide. He does all different kind of travels. And I know so many of our listeners, you like myself, love to travel. And on his website, uh, you can get his further trainings and things that he offers. He also does consulting. There's so much to him. And I would urge you to explore all of his work and and the various things he offers we are putting somewhat of our attentive attention on his new book from suffering to peace the true promise of mindfulness so mark how do we how do we get from suffering to peace yeah well that's the 60 million and a half dollar hour. question <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so how I explore that in the book, just to unpack that a little bit for your listeners. Um, basically, you know, one of the things that I've really appreciated about uh, meditation, mindfulness teachings, and particularly from what I've studied in the Buddhist tradition, is um, really using the power of awareness to understand how we create our own suffering, how we add unnecessarily to our to our emotional, psychological, and mental distress with our thoughts, worries, fears, projections, assumptions, misperceptions, reactivity, um, not understanding really the causes of suffering and the causes of happiness. And so um, the first step is always awareness, is how do we become aware of the ways that we are suffering in distress whether that's physically, emotionally, mentally. And then the radical thing about mindfulness that's somewhat contrary to the popular notion, often mindfulness is sold these days as the panacea to so much of our challenges and ills. And actually, the irony is that mindfulness practice takes us, in the beginning, more intimately uh, closer to our to our, you know, to our reality, which is, you know, that the body has aches and pains, challenges. We have uh, you know, a whole range of strong emotions that are often not so easy to be with. We have challenging life circumstances, and so what the teaching is inviting us to do is really pay attention to how we're relating to experience. Right. So we can't stop the waves, but we can learn to ride them with wisdom, with awareness, with clarity, with kindness, with understanding. And so we're looking at the ways that we, that we you know, simply add unnecessary stress. For example, just, you know, I live in the Bay Area, lots of traffic. And um, the traffic can be when I'm driving, when I'm driving to give a meditation class in the evening, you know, the, the driving, the Traffic can be stressful. It can, you know, threaten us to be late, and um, and that that situation can either be a great source of stress, or it can be like, okay, well, there's traffic, and it's not what I want, it's not what I like. Here it is. Can I find ease in the midst of it? And so that's really um, the orientation of the practice is knowing that we can find peace and ease in the moment, depending on how we skillfully rate, relate to whether it's our physical pain, our emotional distress, the challenge of family crisis, the political situation. And so, um, so, so we begin with looking at, well, where, do, where, does, where does suffering happen? 
and uh, what am I doing? How am I relating to that or reacting to that in a way that's adding to the distress? And we do that by often by looking, understanding our reactivity. Like, for example, I talk a lot about working with physical pain and loss um, and other challenging human experiences. And um, with a, when, we're, when we can be present, we can notice how the, the knee-jerk habitual response to those things is one of contraction, fear, judgment, blame, reactivity. And, of course, all that reactivity just compounds you know maybe you have you know some chronic back pain the more that we cringe contract judge hate fear that and of course what happens is we get tighter and the pain's worse and we really haven't brought any resolution to the situation and so with mindfulness we can actually begin to see how we're relating to these things and find ways that are more kind and more responsive that allow us to navigate life's difficulties with a little more ease, a little more clarity, a little more wisdom. I'm going to pause there just for your response. Yeah, I, well, I'm just um, thinking of, um, I recently watched the movie Tomorrowland. Have you seen that? I have not. What what is that about? Mm, oh, watch watch that film Tomorrowland. It, it probably would be on Netflix. It's George Clooney, uh-huh. and it's 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 all about this other world, uh, you know, the Tomorrow Land, and 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 it, it's just the whole component is about the mindfulness and about you know how people hold things, and um, and it it makes a reference. It's like this. And I'm not giving away anything of, of the movie. I wouldn't tell you to watch it and then tell you what happened. But you know, there's all these uh, cameras of, of that are like showing all of the world, and all it's showing is suffering. Mm-hmm. And do you feel, uh, Mark, in the window of your life? Um, because I I talk to people every week and I talk to myself about this every day. Are we getting better as a culture? Are we waking up? Are we becoming more responsible? Uh, it's very difficult, obviously, to to judge our world by twenty four seven news. Right. I'm just yeah, curious as to your thoughts on that because it's all such trauma and you know, the dogs in the dumpster. And I mean, it's just, it's just one thing after 12, you know, that how could you ever read those titles and and go on and have a wonderful day while at the same time, not being ignorant to what is a responsible, you know, human being. How, How do you feel about all of that? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think we live in two worlds these days. We live in the world created by the 24-hour news media, which has become its own beast, you could say, its own devouring of devouring a need to spout information and commentary and um we all know bad news is what sells and that's what gets reported. And so we have a for those people who who that's their frame of reference for 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 the state of the world, 
then our world, that, that view will be very negatively influenced by a very heavily negatively biased media. Um, and and so so that's one perspective of, you know, looking at that there's, you know, the crime and, and warfare and violence and, you know, and all that's true. Um, but is that really an indication of where we're going as a society? Um, I forget the name of the author. There's a person who tracks um, sort of macro social trends and he talks about how you know in this current era which is maybe post second world war um, and um, post uh, some of the wars in the 40s and the 50s the last 50 to 70 years we're living in a time of greatest peace that the world has ever seen there's a huge reduction in slavery in poverty, in famine, in uh, life-threatening disease. Like you can look at all those metrics and go, oh, actually, we're actually improving as a society and there's much greater intolerance for war and for violence and for homophobia and for racism and sexism. Of course, those things still exist, racism and sexism and homophobia. We're not denying the, the, the grim reality and the suffering of that. But as a society in general, and if, and and you know, just looking at what happened in response to the LGBTQI movement, right? That where before ten years ago, most most countries gay people couldn't even get married. There's a lot of discrimination institutionally, and then suddenly there was a huge um, wave of awareness and tolerance and sensitivity, and again, not the homophobia and 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 discrimination um, has gone away, but massively changed in the same way that most people are reluctant to support warfare um, uh, or support the death penalty or support all kinds of things. So I think on the ground, people to people, um, we are slowly becoming a more tolerant, a kinder, I'd say more aware culture species i mean it's slow and there's always two steps forward one step back and there's clearly you know you can think of many things to counter what i'm saying but in general the trends seem to be towards more consciousness kindness tolerance um and so so i think that's that's really important to take note of because if we just look at the mainstream media all it reports on is you know, probably 98% negative uh, information. And if that's where we get up our reality view of the world, then we should know that it's distorted. And um, I think it's important to look to also our day-to-day -day experience. And my experience, and I think most people I know's experience, is people are generally good. And of course, there's aberrations. Of course, we have our bad days. Of course, people do... Uh, horrendous things, but for the most part, people, I would say, generally uh, display goodness, kindness, care, generosity, patience, etc. Um, so that's my two cents on that. Mm, yeah, uh, thank you. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, um, and that's part of the daily practice is to not become allow the breaking news to break you and to be able to be clear it was like in the 1800s that uh ralph waldo emerson you know made it real clear be mindful 
you know, of what the news is telling you because it's wanting to convince you to think in a certain way and act a certain way. And, of course, I'm paraphrasing, but something to that effect. Right. Absolutely. And that's why I love the the work you're doing is that in the practice of mindfulness, in the practice of being connected to nature, in the practice of the stillness of being in the world and not of the world and that balance, there becomes more of an individual that guides one's life through the art of common sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, when, when, we, when we have an inner practice, when we have a meditation practice or some kind of contemplative practice, then yes, we're not. We're, we have some way to track our inner, you could say, compass or sensitivity or awareness, and so there's a little more capacity for discernment um, and for uh, sensitivity, for discrimination, and um, and so less less swayed, you could say, by external. Um, views or forces and so um you know i think i think much of spiritual practice is learning to both find you know become uh, um, an individual and and one that's integrated and autonomous and at the same time also understand our deep interconnection and interrelatedness with life so it's it's an interesting we're, we're cultivating both both facets, both the awareness of our connection and also also becoming um, I guess you could say less swayed by external forces and opinion because we have our own internal compass and uh, orientation. Absolutely. I understand more that you have some free gifts that you're offering from your book. When people go on to markcoleman.org and they sign yes, up indeed. for your newsletter? I have, I have um, some guided meditations. Uh, if you go to my website, markcoleman.org, there is, um, yeah, you can download some uh, recordings of my meditations, but there's also all kinds of um, uh, recordings of my discourses on various themes around meditation but also in nature and also various other facets of um, Buddhist practice so yes that's a good resource for your listeners absolutely and take advantage of it all of you that are tuning in and getting to know um, this body of work more but definitely go ahead and order the book when did the book come out Mark? Uh, the book came out in May, so not long off the press. Do you have another one in the works? Um, I am going to take a break from writing for now. You know, I've written a couple of books in the last four years, and as you might know, writing books is definitely a um, – uh, it's, it's not a <laughs> it, – it, it's, it's quite a commitment – of time and energy and resources, and I really want to be, I'm dedicating more of my time to my nature-based retreats, and also um, I'm running these uh, meditation and nature teacher trainings, um, and I'm putting a lot of attention in that, Um, also looking, uh, exploring for 
places that I can run those. I'm actually going to Italy next week to look at a place uh, to run those. Um, I'm also going to Bhutan actually tomorrow to teach mindfulness and emotional intelligence to the Bhutanese government. So I have a lot of different um, things I like to do. I definitely teach mindfulness, you know, in organizations and, uh, you know, in this case for the Bhutanese government. Um, but I'm really focusing on my my nature work and um, my you know, my mindfulness teaching live in, in terms of seminars and retreats. And again, if people are interested in that, you can find out about those on my website, markcoleman.org. Um, and I think it's really important that people have access to to teachers and to teachings. And you know, you can read all you like about mindfulness, and there's some great books about that and I've you know written a few myself that I think uh think uh you know uh helpful and useful and um and but the real thing is to practice and so I like to spend a lot of my time you know being in the field and really giving people uh teachings and um ways that they can actually learn to internalize and develop these practices in a very thorough way. So that's where I'm putting more of my attention these days than the writing. And there's so much that comes from people gathering from all over to make an agreement, to be in a retreat, to do two or three days together or several days. I have a, um, I'm a co-founder of an organization that we do, Spirit at Sea Travel. We do cruises and it's, uh-huh. there's something about, you know, going out and being away uh, for a period of time because, you know, we develop these habits in day-to-day life and things like that. And, of course, the goal uh, that I'm sure you set and the one, the intention also that we set and include others, obviously, is that you will spend enough time in these spaces that when you return to your other world, there's some of you that you won't take back with you. And that, it really does make a difference. It really does when you immerse yourself in that. And do your retreats, I mean, you have them listed on through 2020. Uh, Do they fill up pretty quickly? So you have some beautiful ones that are being offered. uh, My retreats fill up about six months in advance. Sometimes mm-hmm. nine months in advance. So, um, again, if people are interested in those things, I'd highly recommend um, being, uh, what's the word, proactive. Um, I'm finding recently in the last couple of years that the interest in nature work has really exploded and people are just very, very keen to um you know, to get outside, to get away from the computers, to really have a, a rich, deep, contemplative, mindful experience. And so um, I'm noticing, or the joke I say to my students is, nature is trending. Um, there's a there's a hunger for that sort of contact and immersion. And um, you know, I think people are seeing that you know the the planet is under great stress, and there's a desire to really um, have a more intimate connection with it and um, to, you know, to make the most of that and to really enjoy its fruits 
while we can. Yeah, I'm finding that too. There's such a, uh, we're actually craving uh, some silence and, and getting off the grid. Right. Yeah, yeah, people are just hungry to, yeah, have some richer, deeper experience than just, you know, being on the computer and stuck indoors. And the, the data right now is that 95% of people spend 95% of their time indoors, which is a drastically large amount of time. And so I'm encouraging people to to change their habits and get outside more and really enjoy the bounty and richness of nature. Are you finding in your your teaching and your experience with coaching teachers and those kind of things, do you have within your own organization, your own institute, that you create certified teachers that teach a certain way? Or is it broader that, you know, as you are a teacher with in everyday life, we would like you to add this additional tool to what you're already doing? So I wasn't quite sure what you were asking um, do you have your own organization that your teachers are credentialed every year through you? Yes, yes. So okay. the mindfulness, yeah, the, I have an institute called the Mindfulness Training Institute. Um, but actually the credentialing happens now. I'm happy to say that um, good friends of mine helped uh, create this body called the Mindfulness, called the Insti- International Mindfulness Training Association, and through that, um, they are registering mindfulness teacher training bodies. So, um, so in that sense, um, people are so, so. There's a certain stand, a certain attention to the standardizing of teacher training programs, and really trying to to improve the um, you know just the general. Um, uh, level of, of trained teachers, so which I'm very happy about because I think it's important that we that we um, significantly you know focus on um, the training of teachers because that's you know and, and the organizations that are doing the training so we we have a higher standard of professional standard. Yeah, it's important to. Um, really get your the work out. Is it global or stateside? Uh, so I run mindfulness teacher trainings in Europe, uh, in England. I, in fact, I have a mindfulness teacher training coming up in England, starting this this September. Um, so every other year I run them in England, and every other year I run them in uh, the Bay Area near San Francisco. So. Um, like you could say they're international. Well, it's just really um, wonderful researching your work and and knowing us more about you, Mark. And I just, you know, on on behalf of the the small little tiny window that I occupy on the planet, I want to thank you for for being an intentional spirit and putting your energy into uh, being a difference maker. It's it's really beautiful, your dedication and years of service. And how would you say this work has changed you? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think on all kinds of different levels, um, 
you know, I think in my basics, you know, having meditated now for 35 years, my, you know, my general uh, experience in myself is one of ease um, and, you know, a lot of access to stillness and peace. And but also it's really um, developed my heart, and so um, you know I think I'm a lot more compassionate, kinder, caring, uh, and responsive to people and to the suffering in the world. And um, so, um, but so there's a both sense of inner ease and also a sense of um, responsiveness to people around me. And what I have found so wonderful is that you actually exemplify the title of your book. So that's really refreshing is you're so calm. I mean, as since I've just been on the phone with you, I find myself I'm, I'm leaning in, (laughs) you know, Uh you have such a soothing presence and that's, that's so rewarding. You know, I've, I've talked to, you know, stress experts that are like more stressed than most people that I've, it's just wonderful is all I'm saying. It's just so nice to see you modeling such a wonderful uh-huh. way of life. And I just applaud you for doing the work that you're doing. Well, thank you for doing the good work you're doing and helping people get the word out and yeah, important work. Oh, thank you. And everyone, please go to markcoleman.org and find out more about his work. Join me at templehays.com or firstunity.org. It's a pleasure for all of us to be with you. And tune in next week. You never know what's going to happen. Thank you so much. Bless you. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.